Thank you so much, dear. I appreciate that. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Romans. I want you to look with me in the 15th chapter. And Kim is correct. Kim's always right. If you're married, you know. But Kim is correct. We felt your prayers. We were sustained by them. And sometimes when we couldn't even word our own prayers, we knew you were for us. And sometimes... When I thought about the bravery of Mr. O'Connor saying that he was going to have his heart surgery on Tuesday and be here on Sunday, I thought, I want to meet that man. (laughs) I didn't even feel like crossing the room five days later. (laughs) But uh, but I so I've prayed many, many times for Mr. O'Connor since I've gotten here. Just when you go through something, then you feel empathy like you never felt before. Uh, I've, I've been in the ministry for... 35, 36 years, and uh, I did, I've done hospital visits more than I could count. I could literally say thousands of hospital visits, but then after I finished my heart surgery and had to go visit someone in the hospital as a clergy to visit someone, that was the best hospital visit I ever did because I realized, wow, that's what it's like. Because when we, when we checked in for all of this surgery stuff, the lady said, well, we don't have any records for you for hospital stuff. I said, well, I was born in the hospital, and I haven't been back since. And so, you know, and she said, well, oh, okay, well, then you really went in for the big one. And, and it's true, but going to the hospital as someone who's been through that, you understand better. And I realized we got nowhere on our own. It was only God. Kim, this tiny little woman that stood before you with the big voice and such singing with passion, she became a fierce advocate for me. And I I fear those who came in her path, if her husband wasn't taken care of, she was right there, health insurance, all those things, and uh, tremendous bonding between us over these last months. And then to be here today is such a thrill. And I don't want to bore you with a life of medical things, but just to say I appreciated your prayers and was well reminded of them today. This is an important day. I've given my whole life to this. And having not uh, died, I guess the only other way to say it, during this past experience makes me realize I have a definite purpose. God kept me here for a reason. And my whole heartbeat is just, no pun intended, is to uh, advance the cause of the Great Commission. That's what I want to be used to do. And I, I think about that my doctor recently said, he said, Mr. O'Malley, he said the only uh, symptom that people who have what you had, the only symptom they get is death. I thought, oh, okay. So that's the first symptom. And thankfully, I didn't have that. I was, I, it was discovered a way and and I realized I've been kept alive for a reason. We were at the traffic light, two lights up, uh, two lights this way, and uh, on Friday, and a man came up behind us. He was going 55, 60 miles an hour at least on that not 55 or 60 mile an hour road, and he didn't see that I stopped for the traffic light. And he came up on us, and there was not even a second to tell Kim, brace yourself. And thankfully, although oddly, he whipped around into the turning lane, cut back in and ran the red light. It had been red for seconds. And I thought, one more moment. Okay, why am I here? 
And as I stand to preach this morning, I'm reminded, I am here to advance the cause of the Great Commission, and I am grateful that I can preach to you today. I want you to look in Romans chapter number 15. This morning in the first service, I took time to describe this thing called faith promise giving. Um, I want you to know that, that if you search the Bible, if you have a Bible program or you use the Google and say, this is search for this, you're not going to find that exact phrase. But you will find principles of giving and you will find principles about faith. We just gave it a name. I said in Sunday school, it's kind of like they named the refrigerator based on what it did. Refrigerates. Refrigerator. And faith promise giving is just that. It's an offering by faith and a promise to give. Why? For the cause of world evangelism. Now, Paul is writing to another church, the church at Rome. And this church at Rome to whom he's writing, he's never been there. This church exists apart from Paul's personal involvement, though he knew people there and though he was well aware of their faith and he was well aware of their development and he wanted to get to see them. Romans 15, 22 is going to tell us that. He said, I want to get there. I've got other things I got to do. And the other thing that he had to do before he got to go to Rome was the offering. The very offering about which we're taking, uh, that I'm preaching on this morning and taking our pattern from, it was this offering that Paul said, I need to take care of this offering. And that's where we're starting in Romans chapter 15 this morning. And I want you to go with me in verse number 22, although it's really not the beginning of the paragraph, it does give you an idea of Paul's passion. Romans 15 verse 22, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts. It wasn't that Paul was evicted. It wasn't that Paul wasn't wanted. But Paul looked at the area that he had saturated with the gospel. In fact, he had mentioned it in verse number 20. He said, I strive to preach the gospel where Christ was not named. He didn't want to build on another man's foundation. And so now Paul says in 21, I have no more place, or 23, I have no more place in these parts. And he said, I have in great desire these many years to come to you. You can imagine Paul had influence of the 34 named churches in the New Testament. Paul had influence in many of those churches and even at Rome, but sometimes Paul had a direct hand in starting them. And you can imagine this church in Rome itself is existing and it's hundreds of miles away. And Paul said, I really want to get there. I've wanted to get there for years. Verse 24, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. Now think about this. We're if you're good at geography, and you may not be, but just kind of ride with me on this part of the journey, okay? Over here is Jerusalem. We would say Middle East. Spain is far west Europe, but not the end. Portugal would be the end of Europe as we understand it, as we would call it today. And Paul said, I want to get to Spain, but on my way to Spain, I want to come to Rome, which is Part of the journey, Eastern Europe, the Eastern side of Europe, if you will. And so Paul says, as we understand this, he said, it, uh, 24, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you on my, in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. What does that mean? Paul said, I'm coming to Rome. 
I want to go to Spain, and when I get there, I'm going to need some help to get to Spain. So he was playing out, just saying, hey, I'm going to need some help. Verse number 25, he says, he said, first, I want to be filled with your company. Then 25, he says, now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Now, if you remember from the first hour this morning, the church at Antioch in Syria, due north of Jerusalem, the church at Antioch in Syria learned about a famine that was going to take place. And they made a promise to give to help with that famine. And because of that, other churches, in fact, 34 named churches in the New Testament, over 20 of them, probably two dozen of them, knew, as we can tell from Scripture, knew about this famine offering that they were taking. They took a promise to give money, to help with the famine. And so this is where we get our model for faith promise giving. We take a promise to give for world evangelization, to send folks like the Ledbetters and the other 10 families that you support at this church. That's how we do that. We don't do garage sales, nor do we do donuts. Ooh, donut sales. No, that's distraction. We don't, we don't do donut sales. We, we don't do car washes. To raise money for missions. Why do we, what do we do? We make individual commitments, just like they did in the New Testament. They made a commitment to take care of the famine. We're making a commitment to advance the gospel. And Paul is telling this church, he said, I have got to go to Jerusalem first. So that's going all the way back down, passing the ark of Syria, and headed down to Jerusalem to do what? To minister to the saints. Verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Now, please understand, Macedonia is a region. Achaia is a region. There are at least six churches in this region. You'll know some of their names. Philippi, we get the book of Philippians. Thessalonica, we get the first and second book of Thessalonians. Berea, remember they searched the scriptures, the Bereans. Corinth, we've got two books to, to the Corinthians, Sincaria, and Athens. These are all places that were in Macedonia where churches existed. And Paul said that those churches, those, at least those six in that region, it says now in verse 27, it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Why are they poor? The famine. So now Paul is saying six churches in Macedonia, at least six, have made commitments or made commitments to give. And Paul said, I'm going to take those commitments and give them personally to the folks at Jerusalem. Follow along. You'll see Paul's integrity in this as well. It said, please them of Macedonia to make a certain contribution to the poor saints. Jerusalem, it hath pleased them verily. We're going to come back to that idea of the delight that is found in giving. Notice this in 27, it pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. They came up opposite from the Jewish tradition, but yet the gospel was seen as coming out of the Jewish tradition. So now Paul said, these Gentiles are in debt to these Jews who are now in need. And Paul then says in 27, they've been partakers of spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister them in carnal things. What were the carnal things that were needed in Jerusalem? 
food, water, basic needs. Paul said, they, sorry, got my hands mixed up there. The Gentiles receive spiritual things at the hand of the Jewish Christians. He said, now that the Jewish Christians are in need, it's good that the Gentiles go help them in carnal things. Now, we typically use that word carnal to represent sin, but understand its proper meaning. It means things of the flesh. They needed food. They needed water. They needed sustenance during this famine. And Paul says something about it being a pleasure. He now says something about it being duty. And and if you're thinking, wow, he's preaching quick, this is like the explanation before he really preaches. Verse 28. When therefore I have performed this, what is the this? Go back to 25. I now, now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. Now jump down to verse 28 when I have performed this, meaning he's going to Jerusalem, and have sealed to them this fruit. You say, is that like the Chiquita banana sticker on the bananas? He sealed the fruit. What is he talking about? We're going to have to talk about what that means in just a second. And he said, seal to them this fruit. I will come by you into Spain. And I'm sure when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I think if we understand principles more than we understand a big emotional story, I'm sure Brother Tony could stand up and tell uh, us emotional stories that would move us. I could tell you emotional stories that would move you. They move me when I think about incidents that happen and I think, ah, but every time I have to tell an emotional story to motivate a giver, I have to tell another emotional story the next time to get them to motiv- be motivated to give. And if we do this all on emotions, yeah, we're going to run out of stories of emotions and then we're just going to wear. And you say, well, that's just manipulative. But what if we gave just based on principle? This is what's right. This is what's wrong. I want to do what's right. Now, the emotional stories, oh, they're precious and they're wonderful and perfectly true on behalf of the storyteller. But, but the truth is, is that We have to have more than, or maybe not we. I have to have more than that. I want to have principles to govern my life by. When life changes, I want the constant. I want, and the only constant that I have is the word of God and his spirit dwelling inside of me. So there are three or four principles I want you to see. Now, if if you're in the church world and you understand what I just said, he has three or four principles. That means he has three or four big points And then you can just count them down and then you're paroled till the evening service. So follow along as we go. Verse number, I want you to start with me in verse number 26. Remember, I pointed out the word pleased. In Bible 26, it pleased them to do what? To make a certain contribution for the poor saints, which are Jerusalem. 27, it pleased them verily. So we get this... Uh, pleasure idea and the word verily although we don't use it a lot but it's a simple word it's the idea of 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 a truth it really truly we would use the word really a lot or truly we would say that but it pleased them verily when I look at the first principle of the promised offering I have to realize this number one it is an offering 
of delight, something that gives you pleasure. For my wife, who has been married 34 years as of Valentine's Day, there's one thing that I know she loves. Well, two things. One, desserts. And two, diets. These are constantly in conflict. Desserts and diets. But there is nothing more entertaining to me is to see my wife approach a piece of whatever chocolate, sweetness, whatever, to take it. And it's, it all happens in slow motion. You know, the fork goes into it and she's just beaming as she does it. And, and it's pure entertainment, to be honest. And she'd take that fork and slowly begin to separate her bite from the remainder of the dessert. And she begins to go down. And then she pauses and looks at it. And this distance, for me, that's a vacuum cleaner. For her, it's art. It's just art, and she'll just slowly go, and sometimes just pause it before it gets to her mouth, and she'll just, and then that first moment, it's just like pure ecstasy. You think, you're lying, you're embellishing, you're, I'm telling you the truth, it is just like this, and she'll, and then, and then you think, oh my, it's going to take 30 minutes just to eat that dessert because of just the speed at which. But that, to me, is the understanding of what pleasure is. When Kim enjoys eating dessert. For you and I as believers, am I allowed to dump this one offering into the other offering? Is that okay? All right. So, for us, like Kim's dessert, Giving ought to equal pleasure. Now, it's not that when the offering plate comes by and you don't have to slowly pick up the offering envelope and just, oh, this is, and then just sniff the plate. You don't have to do all those motions, but there ought to be that sheer ecstasy that says, I am advancing the cause of the gospel and I don't enjoy anything more than that. That's what it ought to be. But <laughs> how many times it's like, great, how many offerings are we taking now? I can't believe this. Didn't we just have the conference last week and now we're doing it again? How many of these do they do? It's all about the money. It's money every... If you lose the pleasure... Now, please understand, I'm not saying my wife overeats. I, I have to go home. I need to address a few personal things here. She does it very well, and she enjoys her dessert. I'm not saying she overeats or anything like that, or needs to diet. It's just she finds pleasure in both, oddly. And so I'm saying to us as a church, there ought to be pleasure when we give. Paul emphasizes this. He said, it pleased them. It pleased them verily. Don't lose the delight of giving. When you lose the delight of giving and it just becomes a chore to you, you're robbing yourself. Jesus told Paul, Paul said, 
Jesus told him, or Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. He said, well, I've never experienced that. You might not want to testify to that publicly, but the fact is, it is more blessed to give. When you get to give to somebody, yes, the recipient rejoices in the gift that was given, but the pleasure that comes from seeing, we did this. That's a pleasure. And to realize, it goes here, and touches the whole world. From Alaska to the Solomons. That ought to bring you pleasure. If it provokes another response. You might want to go back to the first service. Let's talk about the willingness in your heart. Because I don't want my giving to be a chore. I want my giving to be a pleasure. Notice if you would please. In, in this thought, Paul amplifies this thought to Corinth. And we could go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but I, I'm not going to turn there, but I'll give you a couple big points. Paul says to the church at Corinth about this idea of pleasure, don't give grudgingly. You say, well, what does the word grudgingly mean? That's a teenager being told, take out the trash. <laughs> grudgingly don't do don't let your giving become a grudging duty secondly he tell he told the church at Corinth the same vein of that he was speaking of, don't give of necessity where you just feel like I have to do this I'm an officer in the church third thing he told them God loves a cheerful giver if your giving has become a chore to you, may I ask you to consider replacing the chore with cheerfulness and pull back and realize this is God's dessert. I can't believe I just said that, but it, it's clear. This is God's dessert. We ought to just enjoy this and say, I just gave $100 to the cause of world evangelism. That's incredible. You'll, you'll never get a better investment. You'll never get a better return. This is what God has done. Paul tells the church, here's the principle. Principle number one, it has to be an offering of delight. Principle number two, it has to be an offering of debt. You say, well, I don't know about debt. Well, first of all, I'm married to a Dave Ramsey master coach person i got to not talk about debt, but this is debt in a good way. Notice what he said in verse number 27. And their debtors they are. Paul said, that, remember I explained? Paul said they got the gospel from the Jewish people. And it's okay for them to see that as a debt to give back. And I think about this. This offering of debt is the fact that I've received God's grace and salvation. I've received God's goodness. Somebody gave me the gospel. I was a four-year-old kid in Shroon Lake, New York, at a Word of Life camp with my family. My mom and dad recently saved. They were attending the adult sessions of this Word of Life camp. We kids were in the kids section. And I remember distinctly that there was someone who shared the gospel with me. I don't know her name. 
I don't know anything about her, but I know this in eternity. If God allows the recollection to take place, I think I'll be able to find who that person was. Maybe they volunteered their summer. Maybe they were paid. Maybe they sacrificed to get there. And they need to know that some four-year-old kid trusted Christ as his Savior and got involved in world evangelism because they were there at the right place giving the gospel. This means there's a debt. You got the gospel. Somebody brought it to you. And so when we give, make the offering an offering of delight and make the offering an offering of debt to say, I'm glad to give. If Tony and Kim, I've been in Haiti several times, if Tony and Kim can go reach Haitians for Christ, I'll give. They learning, they know the language, right, Tony? You, can, you do the radio, all that stuff. He can speak Creole. I can't. I'd rather give them funds to say, hey, go, make a difference. Poorest nation on, still poorest nation on earth, Haiti? One of top, top five or bottom five, I don't know how you'd say that, but anyhow, of the poorest people on earth, let's get them the gospel. It's an offering of debt. We've been given the gospel. Let's, where are we going to put it? Number three. I want to be careful as I use this word, but it's an offering of duty. When, Paul, when, sorry, when John wrote to the believers... He talked about this sense of duty. He said, Who so hath this world's good and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? There ought to be this sense of care and concern that we have to say, I got the gospel and now I'm going to deliver the gospel. So number three, the third principle is it's an offer of duty. We have a duty to the Great Commission. We have a duty to care for others. We have a duty to contribute to others. And it's not a guilt duty. Don't make me feel bad and make me want to give. Let me look at this as a principle and say, no, 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 no. It's a delight to give the gospel. It is a duty that I can be about my father's business. When Jesus was left as as a boy in Jerusalem and his parents went on and missed him after a few days of come, they had to come back and find him. When mom and, and Joseph found him, he said, little free translation from the Southern Hebrew, didn't you realize I'd be about my father's business? Our, our lives must be about the father's business. It, that ought to be the marker of our life. Say, well, what is she, what's her life about? What's her story? She just talks about Jesus. She tells people about Jesus. Her money goes to tell people about Jesus. Her words talk about Jesus. Everything they do talks about the duty of getting the gospel around the world. Here's the fourth principle that I want you to see, which if you're counting them and you're saying, wow, he said there are four and there are four, that must mean we're at the end almost, but it's really long. Number four, the fourth principle is it's an offering of deposit. A deposit. Think about this. You go through the drive-thru at the bank. I mean, what a great country, right? You don't have to get out of the car to go to the bank. In fact, you don't really have to go to the bank anymore either. But you go there, you put the deposit in, you give it to the person, they give you a lollipop on the way out. It's a great arrangement. You hand them thousands, they hand you a quarter of a cent lollipop. And you get that lollipop and you go on your way, but you look at the deposit ticket. Did they get the right amount of money and did they put it in the right account? Paul's saying the same thing. He said, 
I need to go certify this deposit to seal it. Remember I joked with you about the Chiquita banana label that you put on the bananas that says, Paul is saying, I'm going to seal the fruit. I'm going to take the offerings from these six churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and I'm going to certify that what was given. Now, one of the ways that Paul certified this offering, as we learn from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians Paul and 2 Corinthians both, Paul certifies this fruit by taking one delegate from every church to come with him to bring the offering. That way, he's not gotten you know, offerings from 20 churches And they're saying, well, I wonder if that Paul really gave the money. No, he had a delegate from every church to bring the money with him. And Paul said, I'm going to certify that what we received is what we handed over to them. But there's a principle here that I want you to see. A small principle, it's the integrity of Paul's uh, financial working. That is to say that this church has integrity in the finances that are being dealt with. This morning I picked up that plate. I asked permission to put it in that plate. I didn't know if they were already sorted or separated, but I didn't want to touch the offering, so to speak. That's, if you want to know how I feel, it's sacred. It's, that's been set apart for God, and I didn't want to just loosely deal with it. But, but this church has integrity. You'll get a financial report. You'll get giving statements. And those giving statements reflect what you're giving. You say, well, I've never gotten a giving statement from the church. You might not want to run down that path either. <laughs> so, well, why not? Well, it means you aren't giving. But... The fact is, is that the church does have integrity in the way it deals with it. But I want you to see this more. I want you to see that this Paul saw their offering as fruit that would abound to their account. Something that they relied on God to supply to them so they could give to others. This was also a lesson, not just of fruit and not just of fruit, but of faith where they trusted God for that offering to be given. I can't give unless God meets my need. And and this is not bragging. This is just straight information. I could not stand before you and tell you to give this way were I not doing it myself. That's not bragging. That's simply our church had its Faith Promise Mission Sunday, just like you're having. Ours was the last Sunday of January. That was the first time I got to preach. This is the third Sunday that I've gotten to preach out of the last four. And I stood there in the pulpit of my home church and gave this same thing, and Kim and I turned in our card in the evening service. That evening, we put in our card. So what I'm telling you, is something we do. And I believe that the fruit that we give, that God gives to us, because we made a promise by faith, we stretched ourselves even further than we had before. Why? Because we know the power of giving to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think if I distilled it all down and said to you today, the essence of faith promise is this. Make sure you're enjoying what you're doing, when you're giving, because it matters. I can tell you places I've been where I've taken the gospel where it had never been previous. And I can see how it's changed lives. And I know that as I commit my life to this, I want you to commit your life to this. There is no greater thing we can do than invest in getting the gospel around the world. So there's 
in preacher school, they teach you to have like a closing thought. Here's my closing thought. I only say the word closing just to get you excited. That's all. Wow. Ran out of platform. That hurt. Brother Crockerfield was thinking, I got to pick him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to move it. Sorry, self-preservation first. My closing thought to you is this. Don't skip giving to business. And don't lose your joy in giving. 